We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. This, Tommy, this Apple review after giving us five stars from Boomer Sooner. Quote, embarrassed to admit that not until a few weeks ago, my wife and I completed the entire five seasons of The Wire, which debuted 20 years ago on June 2nd, 2002. As a DC expat and brief 980 vet, During the C.J. Scotland coach B. Mitch and Doc days now residing in the Midwest, the credibility of the podcast was already cemented as a staple among my favorites. But to witness Tommy's cameo in one of the final episodes, I noticed this ironically before his Facebook post today, um, takes your PC to a maid status. The angle of incorporating the journalistic piece into the show's final season, brilliant. Keep up the fine work. Kevin, your standard is expert. Cooley and Tommy are vital pieces to your brand. Thanks for being an essential resource for all things Commanders, D.C., and national sports coverage. Uh, That from Boomer Sooner, Sooner, J.T. Um, I don't – he says that he was a brief 980 vet. Um I'm surprised that he uh, wouldn't have mentioned maybe his name or given me more of a clue. Or maybe I wasn't there yet. Maybe you weren't there. Because CJ, Scott, and Doc and Coach were there from pretty much, well, not Coach, pretty much the beginning. And B. Mitch came along um, long before uh, I did uh, as well. Um, But thank you, Boomer Sooner. And don't forget uh, a uh, a quick five-star rating. And a one to two sentence review or more, like Boomer Sooner did, is a huge help uh, for us, and it's much appreciated. Uh, we've got a lot to get season, to. Season, season five, episode eight. About ten minutes left of the episode, just for people who want to scroll to <laughs> to the historic two second appearance of of Mr. Lavera in the Baltimore Sun newsroom. Yes. Yeah. Which was recreated on a soundstage in Columbia, Maryland. Oh, is that where it was? You know, you've told me about this maybe a hundred yeah. times, um, but I don't remember you telling me it was recreated on a Columbia, Maryland soundstage. Okay, so now I know where yeah. it was done. I, I would have just assumed that they came in and shot it at the sun. 
um, nope. wherever that was. Did not do that. Uh, you know, I would say that no less than a half dozen times a year, someone will come up to me and say, I can't believe that you haven't watched The Wire, first of all, which this is my biggest, biggest, you know, missing um, television show. And, yeah. I, and I understand that, and, and I totally trust in everything that everybody said, and I, I have it at the top of my list to get to. It's a big commitment because it's five seasons, but I would say no less than a half dozen times a year, somebody will come up to me and say, you've really missed on not watching The Wire, and, you know, did you know, and, or somebody will say, did you know that your boy Tommy was in it? And I always say, <laughs> no, I had no idea. I had no idea. When was he in it? Um, even one of my boys, uh, Corbin, uh, who finished the wire, I don't know, six months ago and then rewatched it recently. He said, yeah, I, I just saw, I, I was just on the episode the other day that Tom was in. Um, so there you go. You know, I, um, I wanted to mention something to you. I watched a movie over the weekend with my wife and we had not seen this movie and it was, I think the Oscar winner a couple of years ago. I had not seen it. She had not seen it. We watched it together, and I thought it was really, really good. A Star is Born. Did you see A Star is Born? I'm not talking about the original with Barbara Streisand. I know. I'm talking about the Bradley Cooper. The original goes back to the 30s. Oh, really? I didn't even know that. Yeah, there's one way way before that. Uh, It didn't win the Oscar, I don't think. No, it didn't. But it was nominated. It won- I don't think it did. Yeah, it was, it was nominated. Uh, I think it was overblown. I think it was overblown. I thought she was tremendous, uh, Lady Gaga, in it. Uh, but uh, you know, he got on my nerves. Uh, Bradley, Bradley Cooper won Best Actor, nominated for... Okay. An, so, eight... I'm sorry. Um Eight nominations, all right? Best Picture, Best Actor, Bradley Cooper, Best Actress, Lady Gaga, Best Supporting Actor, um, and that was uh, Sam Elliott. Uh, Sam Elliott, yeah. The Best uh, best Original Song, Shallow. Um, what did it win? Okay, it was, it was a good movie. Yeah. It was a good movie, and I'd watch it, was, it again. What I but, would, uh, but I didn't think it was great. I thought it was really good. I really liked it, but I really thought she was great. And I thought he was great, too. I I think he's great in everything. Like, I can't think of anything that Bradley Cooper has done that I haven't thought was great. Silver Linings Playbook, for me, um, is his greatest role. But, I mean, it's hard to pick. He's got so many. You know what, Tommy? I think that Bradley Cooper's first movie or breakout role when he became noticeable was Wedding Crashers when he played um uh uh what's her face uh the Canadian um uh, brunette R- Rachel McAdams when he played Rachel McAdams uh fiance and uh you know and he laid out uh, Vince Vaughn in the football game and um, ended up, um, you know, uh, going at it with Owen Wilson, and then, you know, at the at the altar, uh, Vince Vaughn gets revenge by knocking him out. But I, um, I, I think Wedding Crashers might have been his very first movie, or certainly, I'm looking it up right now. Damn. I think it is. He was only in four movies before yeah, here that. It is. 
yeah. and actually maybe three. So, uh, yeah, Wedding Crashers was his his big uh, coming out party, so to speak. He was great in that. He was phenomenal um, in, in Silver Linings Playbook, which I thought was a great movie. Uh, he was good. I'm looking through his list of movies. Obviously, The Hangover. And then, uh, The Hangover, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, th- that movie Limitless that he was you in was pretty good. You know why he was, was great in? What? He was great in American Hustle. Great in American Which Hustle. Which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Well, I, American Hustle. Amy Adams was great in that. Christian Bale was great in that. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah. I, I like that movie, too. Did you, did you like Limitless? Did you ever see Limitless? Yeah, I did. I liked it. Yeah. It was good. Uh, uh, De Niro was was pretty good in that movie. Um, yeah. Whatever. Uh, he's, he's good in almost everything. I'll tell you the movie I haven't seen yet, and he's in this movie, uh, is Licorice Pizza. And I don't know if that's, you know, it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I haven't seen that. That, that actually, it was a Stars Born or Licorice Pizza that we were going to watch on Saturday night, and we shows a star is born well well I'm, I'm a huge paul thomas anderson fan i have not watched licorice pizza yet it's on my list but speaking of paul thomas anderson yeah one of his favorite actors passed away i know you, philip, you, philip baker hall right i mean he was in like i uh, uh, he was in at least five or six was bookman of in anderson's Show. movies yes he was mr bookman in Seinfeld, but I want to make a movie recommendation to you. It's one of Paul Thomas Anderson's first movies, Hard Eights. Have not. It's seen about gambling. Haven't seen that. It's about Hard Eight. It's about gambling. It came out in '96. About uh, these uh, this couple that he took under his wing in Vegas and kind of like mentored them. Uh, it's tremendous. You would love it. It's such. A, it's one of the great Vegas movies of all time. Hard eights. I've, okay. It's I, honestly, hard eights. And I know. I know a lot of uh, of his movies. Obviously, Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood. I mean, I, I think There Will Be Blood. Blood is incredibly underrated. I, I've heard a lot of people over the years that don't like that movie. I think it's very good. Um, so I know. You know those works. The The Master was a good movie uh, as well. But I'm not familiar did, with Hard Eights. Magnolia. He did Magnolia and Philip Thomas uh, and and uh, uh, Baker Seymour Hall Hoffman. was in that too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Philip yeah. Baker Hall. Yeah. But so was so was Baker. Yeah. Yeah. But Hard Eight, buddy, check hard, it out. Hard Eight or Hard Eights? Hard Eight. Okay. We've got a lot to get to today, uh, yes, including everything that Ron Rivera said. Uh, I want to talk about Terry McLaurin, who was not there for minicamp. Uh, Steven Strasburg, uh, the NBA. Let's start with the football team, um, even though I'd prefer to start with talking about the game that I watched last night, not about contract negotiations. But I want to read to you, uh, T- Terry McLaurin was not there today. And he's not supposed to be at minicamp per the reporting tomorrow or Thursday either. And that means he's now missed all of the OTA days and all of the minicamp um, potentially, uh, after he said that he would attend a lot of this stuff, even though he wouldn't do on-the-field activity uh, without a contract extension. I've been thinking a lot about this over the last uh, couple of hours. Not a lot about it, but enough about it, because I took calls on this during the show. I think that it's very likely that he's not there and he wasn't at OTAs because he, he's upset 
about the way it's going, or certainly his agent uh, is upset about the way it's going. Now, I don't know the reasons why he's upset. And again, I'm speculating that he's upset, but he did say that he would attend a lot of this stuff, even though he wouldn't do on the field activity. And he hasn't posted for any of it since those, you know, phase two workouts. So something's not right in the negotiation process. I don't know if it's he asked for too much. You know, he asked for Tariq Hill or Devontae Adams or DeAndre Hopkins money, and the team said, wait a minute here. Uh, We want to take care of you, but you're not those guys. And that upset him. Or the team lowballed him, and that upset him. Uh, If he is upset. And I think him not being at these things is an indication that these things have become somewhat contentious. Uh, And, you know, maybe he's not thrilled right now with the way things are going. I am a little bit skeptical that the team would have lowballed them. First of all, this isn't the Bruce Allen regime. Uh, But secondly, they offered two years ago Amari Cooper North of twenty million a year. Remember, he stayed with the Cowboys five years, a hundred million or twenty million a year. But the reporting was Washington had offered more. Washington's already proven that they'll be aggressive if they really want something. You know, Curtis Samuel, William Jackson, the trade uh, attempt for Stafford, the trade attempt uh, for Russell Wilson, the trade for Carson Wentz. So I'm a little bit skeptical that they you know, came in with a low ball offer. Um, but the net of it is, I guess I am still very confident. I mean, there's nothing that would lead me to believe other than it's in the best interest of both parties to get a contract extension done. Other than that, it's not like I know anything, but I would still bet um, that there's a contract extension by training camp. And that this is just, you know, uh, a distant conversation when we get to training camp um, that this didn't go quickly and maybe not smoothly. But still, I I think him not being here is a message that, um, for whatever reason, his fault, their fault, both of their faults, uh, that that he's not thrilled right now with the way things have gone. Well, let's go through a checklist of things here. And based on your judgment and knowledge, you can answer them. Uh, This organization, uh, the odds that they will do the right thing. Are are you, is is that a statement that I'm supposed to? uh, No, I'm asking, I'm asking you to answer the odds. What are the odds? That they will do the right thing. Um, the right thing, yeah. Which part of the organization? Doesn't matter. Football. We'll uh, stick to football. Yeah, I, I, I think this group uh, of, f- of football decision makers. It's certainly not the last group. I would put it at That's better. That's not what I said. I would put it at better than fifty-fifty. I, really? Yeah. Wow. That's tremendous confidence, Kevin. No, it's not. Okay. I didn't say 100%. I didn't is, say 90. I said I it's better than 50-50. It's, it's around I 60. I know that. I feel like 60% sure that they would do right by that, that they would do right by Terry. Okay. Or that they uh, will do the, right by uh, Terry. Next, the next question is, who are the mo- three most important players on the team? Right now? Terry McLaurin's yeah. one of them. 
Okay, John Allen's one. Okay. And then really in terms of what you need him to produce based on where he was drafted. Carson Wentz. Um, Chase Young is super important. Oh. No, but, okay. no, well, but, but, but you're Carson. right. You're right. Carson Wentz is certainly uh, – yeah. we're not talking about the best player. We're talking about the most important players. Yeah. So the most, most important, important players. players actually is a different question, and maybe Terry's not in the top three. Carson Wentz oh, – I think he is. Car- Carson Wentz right now would be the most important in terms of, you know, uh, influencing next year's results. Uh, I think Chase – you know, a healthy Chase Young is really important, and – um, they're you Look, know they they have a, they have a bunch of receivers. Car- if you trade for Carson Wentz and you don't have your best receiver in camp, he becomes the third most important guy on the team. I mean, there's no point in the trade if you don't have Terry McLaurin. You know, to throw the ball to. Okay, fine. It's almost it's, fine. It's a what's more your next, ridiculous what's next trade on than your it list? was in the first place. What's next on your list? Well, teacher. Uh, that that all that being said, uh, you don't think this is a big deal? They don't have the one. They're one of their top three most important players. A report in the mini camp, and you give them well, you give them a sixty percent chance of of. You know, getting this done right, I would give, generously give them a thirty percent chance. I'll give them an eighty percent right, chance wait. of getting it done. I'll give them a sixty percent nod on the process going well for both parties, or just just past fifty fifty. I I don't even know how to answer your question. I, I here's what I think. I think he's going to play for Washington next year with a contract extension, and I would bet big money that that happens. I think they'll get a deal done. I do. Uh, and I think a lot of the conversation about Terry McLaurin and contract extension and not showing up for OTAs and minicamp and the contract negotiation tone, et cetera, will be largely forgotten. That's my guess. But I want to get to this uh, because I really want to express um, surprise about uh, a part of the conversation involving Terry McLaurin and this contract extension. When did Terry McLaurin become this incredibly important figure in the organization that people have tweeted me, and I've heard it said, I don't think this is an oddball out there sentiment among uh, the fans that really care when did he become the breaking point for some of these people? Listen to these tweets, Tommy, that I got from Steve. Kevin, if they don't sign Terry McLaurin, I'm done with them. This should be the easiest football decision in years, and they're messing it up. He's the best player and the most exciting player they've had in years. From Manny on Twitter, after I read this Steve thing on the show this morning, I'm with that guy, Steve. If they don't get Scary Terry signed in soon, if they are just trying to save a few bucks on the deal, if they make him feel less important than he is, I'm out. Terry's the best player on the team and the best player they've had in years. Really? I mean, I really like Terry McLaurin. I think he's a really good player. I think he was clearly one of the best draft choices they've ever had. 
I think he's one of the more talented wide receivers they've had in a long time. I think Deshaun Jackson was certainly damn talented. So is Pierre Garçon. I mean, Jordan Reed as a receiving tight end was the most talented player they've had in the building in a while. But I think a lot of people, I don't, I, they're just reaching. They're they, they're trying to make this into something that it isn't. He's not Tariq Hill. He's not Julio Jones, you know, like this big, imposing, physical specimen of a, of a wide receiver. He's a good player. He's somewhere in, you know, the 10 to 15 range, maybe closer to 10. I don't know. There's a lot of receivers that are on their way up from last year, and even the, the receivers that got drafted this year. It's a really loaded position in the league, but... I don't know. I, I just I, I've heard this so much over the last week or two, and it just seems like a total reach to me. Like the breaking point, you're out because Terry McLaurin's having a protracted, difficult contract negotiation, and they might not end up getting it done. Really, that's why you're out. You know, you're. you're I don't understand how you come to these kind of conclusions. Oh my god! On the god. one hand. On the one hand, what you're saying is logical. On the other hand, you yourself know that this is a fragile fan base that is not going to react normally and logically to anything this team does. So every little slight is a potential turnoff right now. Uh, you, you, you've got, a, you've got the, the, the few fans who are left are standing on a cliff. And there's like one inch of space between them and the, and the, and the ravine to, to fall into. But so it doesn't take much uh, well, to push them off. I I mean, are you hearing what I'm saying? Well, I I am hearing look, what you're saying. I mean that that he is that I, it's kind of ridiculous that Terry McLaurin is your line in the sand. Well, of course, but it should be an indication as to how damaged this fan base is that Terry McLaurin would be their line in the sand. Maybe I'm surprised. That should tell, that should tell you. Maybe I'm surprised that anybody's still on the cliff. <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and that there's still people up there considering whether or not to jump. But no, seriously, I know what you're saying. I, I do. I, and I don't really disagree with you. I just think it's an overreaction. And, and maybe it's because... Many have reached, you know, a tipping point here. You know, the irony of this is there will be somebody, or actually there will be several people um, that will uh, scream, here's the media again, it's only June 14th, and they're trying to divide Terry McLaurin and the head coach and the team over this contract negotiation, when in fact, I think a lot of the outrage is coming from the fans on this one, at least um, compared to where I am. I'm not outraged by this. I'm certainly not overreacting to Terry McLaurin's importance uh, in the organization. I like Terry a lot. Don't get me wrong. I don't want anybody uh, you know, coming at me saying, you don't want Terry McLaurin. I do, and I think they'll sign him, and I think it's the right thing to do, and I think he's a really good player. Um, but anyway. You know, uh, you have to admit, one last thing I want to say on this. It is a little bit strange that they would trade for a quarterback who they think has so much hope in them and Carson Wentz and not have the Terry McLaurin 
contract resolved pretty with much within minutes of that trade. In other words, I think one goes along with the other. It's I also mean, if you trade for Carson Wentz and you don't have Terry McLaurin to to throw to, then you <laughs> what was the point of the trade? Well, I think they have every intention of signing Terry McLaurin uh, after trading for Carson Wentz. I think they want Terry McLaurin here. I think you know this is a very important year. They've raised the expectation levels. I just think you know again, I don't know what the answer is, um, but if there's a divide right now, it's either that they lowball them, which I am skeptical about, or um, Terry's just asked for you know a number that is in the elite level of receivers right now, and they don't think he's worth that. But anyway, um, let's get to uh, the Ron Rivera stuff uh, from today because uh, he talked First Amendment. He also talked Second Amendment. Uh, more on that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Tommy, yesterday on the podcast, I um, suggested uh, how the press conference today with Ron Rivera should be handled, and I said I think he should have a prepared statement, and I went through what 
I thought he should say he should focus on the fact that the Del Rio situation was bad for business, steer clear of all of the stuff that was in the statement when uh, they announced the $100,000 fine last week, and you know show some humility and some self-awareness about the state of the organization and how you know tenuous it is with respect to you know free speech is free speech, but it's not free of consequence, and you're an employee in a business that is really, really trying to avoid uh, any further controversies, and Jack created one last week, and that's why we find him. Um, so today, uh, he first of all, they did the press conference very early this morning at 8 a.m. before they went out and took uh, the field, uh, actually, and he did have an opening statement. So they did actually uh, decide that before he opened it up for questions, he was going to have an opening statement about Del Rio. And he said, I wanted to start this out really just talking about what happened last week. My decision basically concerning what Coach Del Rio said. So just so everybody understands, I've spoken with Jack multiple times about what has happened, what was said. I told him the decision. I was going to find him $100,000, and we were going to move forward with this. We had a great conversation. We talked again this morning, as in this morning, Tuesday morning. The big understanding, just so everybody understands, this is not the fact that he exercised his right to free speech. This is what impacted the football team, okay? Okay, that's what we all have to understand. I believe in the First Amendment very strongly. I stood next to Eric Reed when he took a knee. Eric and I talked about this because I asked Eric, help me understand so that, I'm, so that I may be understood, and he did. He showed me what this was really all about, meaning what they were kneeling for. In Jack's case, same thing. But the thing we all have to understand with these rights, these freedoms come with tremendous responsibility, and we have to understand that as well. And so this is about the impact made on our football team and the distraction that it has become. And it's a very serious question and topic, but at the end of the day, it did impact us. That's what I did, what I did. And then he went on to say, and by the way, Tommy, yesterday when I said um, one of the reasons I'd give him a prepared statement is I would not want to risk Ron you know, starting to riff a little bit because Ron can get pretty yes. long-winded. And I didn't want yes, him, I didn't want him to end up being a headline today after something that he riffed. So after, as he's going through this prepared statement, I think he started to riff a little bit here. He it, not that it w- turned out badly because I don't think it did. But he said Jack spoke to the team this morning during the team meeting. He was very open, very forthright, very contrite, and apologized and opened himself up to questions or opportunities for any players to come in and meet with him. He's already met with some of our players and talked to some of them about what was said. I've been told those meetings went very well, and so I'm very pleased with that. As we finished, he did the same thing. He said, guys, please, any questions, come see me. Let's talk about that. And I thought that was good. Rivera saying I thought, you know, him allowing guys to come and ask him questions was good. It was well-received. We'll see. Our intent is to move forward. I'm about reconciliation. I think not just this football team, but this community. We have to understand that when we do things like this, it impacts the community as well. We got to make sure the community understands that we understand and we get it. That's important. So this was really about taking accountability and holding ourselves accountable and then going forward and trying to reconcile with things. And we're beginning to see it even in our own nation's capital 
we see that the Republicans and Democrats are trying to come together and reconcile on the Second Amendment. And we'll see what happens. But that's what this is, and it's very important that we get through it. What Jack and I talked about is between Jack and I. I'm going to discuss. Uh, I'm not going to discuss that, okay? So that with so with that, I'm going forward. I'm moving on. So if there's any questions on football, please feel free to ask. I'm not going to address anything other than football. So they did take my advice on the prepared statement and not taking any other questions on any of this. I think the first part of it was pretty pretty good. And I'm not suggesting that the part where he says, I mean, it's, you told me, by the way, before this podcast, he started riffing on the Second Amendment. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I, I didn't, I hadn't <laughs> read that part. And I went back and read it. Um, you know, I, if, if fortunately he cut it off there because he may have gone to Roe v. Wade next. Um, but I, I would have, I wouldn't have brought the Second Amendment into the prepared statement, you know. Uh, even though he really didn't say anything inflammatory uh, about the Second Amendment, he said, "Hey, Republicans and Democrats are trying to come together on this Second Amendment." Meaning, I think he's, you know, or, you know, referencing potentially, hopefully, um, some level of gun control, background checks, red flag laws, uh, you know, assault re- uh, weapons, uh, rifles, etc. Um, but um, anyway, if I had, if you had to grade his prepared statement. What would you give it? I give it a B minus. I'll give it an A minus. No, no, no. I'll give it a B plus. He got off script with the Second Amendment stuff, uh, but I think for the most part, uh, subject to change. Um, you know, just reading this right now, and I didn't. I haven't heard it. I haven't heard the tone. I don't know if there are any follow up questions or any other answers, but. I think for the most part, uh, he got out, got out of there unscathed. Uh, I mean, there's always going to be a group of people that are going to have any issue. And when you start mentioning first and second amendment, um, in your answer, uh, rather than just focusing on, Hey, look, he's got the you know right to speak his mind. Um, but, uh, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't come without consequence. And there were consequences last week. It was something that impacted us. Uh, I would have probably steered clear of all the community stuff, um, but whatever. Uh, B plus. But yeah, I mean, all you got to do is say the word Second Amendment, and it's it's like a third rail these days, you know. So, oh, so my. it really doesn't matter how he feels about the Second Amendment. He just said the word. I don't think that. I would hope that that wasn't. None of that was in the prepared statement. I bet it wasn't. I bet you. I bet it wasn't either. Yeah, I, I think. Now what do you? Well, okay, now what do you think the odds are that down the line in the next couple of weeks we see a lengthy interview with Ron with Albert Breer or somebody on a national level because he likes to talk, and we hear more about this, and he potentially stick jumps right back in the soup again. You're talking, about, you're, ta- you're talking about Del Rio or you're talking about Del Rio? Rivera. Oh, Rivera. R- Rivera. Um, first of all, I think if Del Rio talks again or tweets again and he shut down oh, his Twitter not, account, I, th- I think he's done. He's not going to talk. He's <clears throat> I, not going to talk. Well, I, I think that he's one of these people that sometimes can't help himself. Um, you should know yeah, that. Yeah, but he hasn't given you, you should interviews. Understand. You, only... you should understand that. Um, 
No, yeah, but, but he's only he's only spoken when required to. Besides his social media, okay, he's not. You don't see any interviews with Jack Del Rio out there in the national media. You've seen him with with Rivera. He's done a lot of appearances. He likes, and I don't fault him for it because it, it, you could argue it helps the profile of the team. He likes, you know, the attention that he gets on national media. He's well liked by the national media and admired. And uh, don't be surprised, within the next four to six weeks, you see a Rivera interview where uh, he goes off script and uh, this resurfaces again. Well, depending on who's writing the story, the off script might be, you know, might be put, they may check him and say, whoa, 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 you don't want to say that. Um, Because we've seen a lot of marketing pieces almost uh, recently. I, I would be more concerned about Del Rio. I, I it, by the way, again, I think they made it very clear to Jack that you create this kind of stir again. That's it. You can do this if you want, but not here. Not not with this employer. We can't afford it. And like I said yesterday, and it would have been part of my you know uh, the, my my opening statement where I showed some humility um, as an organization. We are trying to earn trust back. We're trying to repair the damage of many many years, the damage that we've created, and we can't have people. There are organizations that can overcome stuff like this that have the credibility you know, with their fans and their, their customers and their business partners. We don't. So you need to understand where you are right now. Not that his comments in New England or Baltimore or Green Bay wouldn't have been newsworthy, but they wouldn't have been as damaging as they are here. And by the way, I'm very aware that many of you listening are like, they didn't damage me at all. I'm not talking about you. And your opinions. I'm talking about the business of the team. And the part that we don't know is whether or not it impacted the relationships he has with his players that he's required to coach and manage. Now, what we have seen for two years is we haven't seen, or what we haven't seen is any indication that any of the players have had any problem uh, to date with Jack's politics and his outspokenness on Twitter over the last two years. Because as we both know, I mean, you nicknamed him Voodoo Jack a year and a half ago. We know that he's been pretty active, you know, at various times over the last two years. And it doesn't seem to have impacted his ability to, you know, uh, remain, you know, a leader and, uh, and, and, an, and I guess an effective coach in that locker room. I don't think there's been any pushback from the players. There wasn't even from John Allen late last week. So... And apparently, the players who spoke today, that reporter spoke to, they just they they said it was no big deal to them. Okay, they don't pay attention to it. So there you go. Now that's different from Jason Wright uh, trying to land big deals with corporate sponsors and with people that are considering buying suites from the ticket to, uh, ticketing department. And oh, by the way, not that I think Virginia and DC was going to go uh, in any other direction than it went in. Um, but, uh, they took the opportunity on Wednesday afternoon to take a nail and drive it into the coffin, uh, publicly based on, uh, Del Rio's, uh, comments. So, Look, Rivera admitted that this was not helpful. 
um, w- regardless of, of whether or not you agree with him. I agree with that. It wasn't helpful, and this team doesn't need that. I would be more concerned that Jack ends up on some sort of you know right wing you know conservative social media platform parlor or one of these others and somehow that ends up becoming news as well i think he's a guy that looks out and can't help himself you uh, may be right we'll see you, you may be right i just I, I just think that the door is open for I, I don't think this door is closed on rivera doing saying something yes yeah yes now, once once training camp opens, then you'll be consumed with – everybody will be consumed with football. But between now and training camp, uh, I just wouldn't be surprised if a, if a national interview on TV or, or in print or in, you know, the Internet surfaces where Ron Rivera has a few more things to say about this. You're probably right. Uh, he probably will do an interview or two. They've got to market the team. They've got to get people interested. They've got a new name. They've got new uniforms. They've got a nine-game home schedule. Uh, but in the process of being public, they have to avoid controversy. They have to avoid anything controversial that would divide, um, that would alienate anybody that is potentially interested. They have to become likable. They've got to kill people with kindness. You know, season ticket holders, prospective season ticket holders, sponsors, media people. Uh, they just have to uh, work on becoming very likable, and that's that's a hard thing to create from where they are right now. Yes. They have to be nice to everybody. They can't afford to alienate any fans because they don't have that many that they can just have them turn away. Can we get to something really exciting, the NBA Finals? Oh, boy, I can't wait. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wiggins drives and Exclamation point from Andrew Wiggins. Uh, yeah, the Warriors beat the Celtics last night 104-94 to to take a 3-2 series lead in the NBA Finals. Game 6 is Thursday night in Boston. I would bet a lot of money that we have a Game 7 on Sunday night. Um, it was the fifth straight game of double-digit margin of victory. Uh, we have not yet had one dramatic ending. Um, I thought the third quarter was exciting last night um, and intense. Uh, but uh, the bottom line is uh, Golden State did something that I really didn't think that they would be able to do, Tommy, and that is win a game with Steph Curry struggling offensively. Now, I think he played a pretty good game. I actually think you know the attention paid to him opened it up for everybody else, and I think he made a lot of the right uh, decisions. Oh, my God. Let me, wait a minute. Wait what? wait a minute. What? You just called him a decoy. 
Yes. Have you ever heard of Jordan being a decoy, LeBron being a decoy, Magic being a decoy? Come on. You ever heard of John Paxson or Steve Kerr? Okay, let's put let's put <laughs> Steph Curry in that category then. Well, I mean Jordan Jordan drew the defense and kicked it to Paxson and kicked it to Kerr for the, the you know serious okay. clinchers. He didn't take those final I know shots. That. No, he didn't. So yes, to promote to promote Curry. Was this your thing today? His team was your decoy? Was this no, your thing to just no, 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 to come no, in here as a more. decoy? Was this was this the that's the whole true. decoy thing? Because it's not really no, a but decoy. That's it's not necessarily. Well, that's what you said. No, I, I you use the word decoy. Well, I was trying to translate to no, it was the, the word that, that you were saying it, and, and promoting it, how great he played. I didn't say he played great. I didn't say he played great. I said that. Okay, you said how he helped the team. Yeah, well, he definitely helped the team, but he struggled offensively, and I didn't think that they could win a game uh, with him scoring 16 points and going 0 for 9 from behind the three-point line. If you had told me that before the game, I would have thought that they would have lost the game by 20. There are reasons that they didn't lose the game by 20, and they won the game by 10. Andrew Wiggins is reason number one. Uh, Reason number two is the Celtics' two best players, Jalen Brown, uh, and even Jason Tatum. uh, Brown was horrendous uh, throughout the game. Tatum... Um, ran out of gas and was defended really well. But on Steph Curry, because you had decoy ready to go, I'm sure this is going to be a column you're going to write about how Jordan and all the great players were, were never referred to as decoys, and you're the one that just referred to him as a decoy. Although I did hear, I did hear last night, I think Van Gundy or Jackson say he's really, really selfless and uh, you know, because for all intents and purposes, he's a decoy. I think I heard somebody <laughs> say that during the broadcast. But I that's do, okay. Ignore that, Kevin. But I think they don't know anything but, but, either. But I think clearly this was not a great night for Steph Curry because Curry's best nights come when he, you know, is seven of fourteen from behind the arc and scores forty three points. Um, but what I was trying to say to you is. I think that he did a lot of good things last night that contributed oh, to his team winning. He had eight assists. Oh, absolutely. He actually drew the de- – I mean, they were doubling him. You, you saw that they were picking him up in the backcourt in the first yes, half. Yes, I did. Uh, covering him basically from end line to end line and doubling him every single time he touched the ball. He made a tremendous number of, of, of right decisions with the ball rather than trying to force a lot of it, which I think Tatum's done on the other end. He had eight assists. The truth is they went nine for four. 40 from behind the arc, 9 for 31 if you take his nine attempts out. And a lot of the the misses were passes that he made off of him being doubled. He could have been easily in double digits worth of assists. So I do think Steph Curry contributed to the win last night. But of, course I, you, of course you do. But I, but I don't think you – know? I would have never thought they could have won, won the game uh, with him uh, scoring what he scored last night. But Andrew Wiggins was phenomenal. He was great last night. Andrew Wiggins was phenomenal. He had 26 points and 13 rebounds. Right. And played he, he was tremendous very defense. Tremendous defense. And, and, and you know what? We're, we're fawning over him because he's a unicorn. We don't see the way he played happen much anymore uh, for being an impact player. 26 points 
and 13 rebounds, playing in the paint, tremendous defense. You don't see that. So that's why we're all hipped up about Andrew Wiggins. Obviously, he had a terrific game. He was remarkable to watch. Uh-huh. I'm telling you, at one point, the Celtics lane, it must have had quicksand in it because nobody in a, in a, in a, a Celtics uniform would dare step in the lane. It what? was unbelievable. Well, uh, many times there you know, wasn't anybody there. You know why no one was there? They were out guarding what? Steph. There were two people no, I'm on Steph. About, I mean, Draymond had. I'm talking about when the Celtics when the Celtics had the ball. Oh, when the Celtics had the ball. I'm sorry. I thought you said when Wiggins would take no, off down no. the lane. This, no, 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 no. When the Celtics had the ball, they, I mean, it was like their lane was 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 made of quicksand. They wouldn't go in. You look. I mean, it's not hard to figure out what's going on here. Uh, and see, some of the stats I read are startling. Jason Tatum has 95 turnovers in a playoff. Yeah, it's ama- it, it, That's the most so ever careless. in a single so postseason. Yeah, I didn't I mean, see that. That's the Warriors have the, war- the Warriors scored 22 points off 18 Celtic turnovers. In the series so far, 103. 103 points. Yeah. That's just somehow remarkable. I know. I mean, that's so sloppy. And, and just... But that, but just keep sucking it up. It's horse. Didn't you see what I tweeted to you last night? No. Just one word. Horse. God. Yeah. Um. So you know turnovers. They're you know two ways primarily that you, the ball gets turned over. Really, really good defense, or really yes. sloppy offense. In the case of yes. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, I, I think I think it's more sloppy offense. Although they are really guarded hard, I mean Wiggins defends well. Thompson, both of these teams, Tom, are very good defensive teams. Boston, in particular, is exceptional defensively. They're, they've been the best team in the postseason throughout. Um, but uh, the eighteen, I, I, what was the first turnover stat you gave? Real quickly. Well, uh, the one, Jason Tatum throughout the whole playoff oh, 90, has 95 turnovers, the most ever I in a postseason. Jason Tatum has 95 turnovers in the postseason? That doesn't yes. even seem possible. I'm adding them up right now. 12, 20, 27, 32, 36, 43, 44, 51, 54, 60, 68, 75, 77, 79, 83, 85, 91, 95 turnovers. Oh, my God. I mean, it's so funny. He doesn't doesn't even blink an eye, you know? Doesn't even blink an eye. I um I said early in the series I see a guy that's really trying to force it too much and because of it, you know because of it, their turnovers I'm on this group text with a bunch of friends of mine from high school we all played basketball together in high school and somebody said last night God man Tatum you know Tatum's really you know he's going off on how good Tatum was I'm like yeah but he is such a casual sloppy passer. Now, a lot of that is he's trying to make the right plays off double teams because he gets doubled a lot too, but he yep. is not great at that. And and the other thing too is 
he and Jalen Brown a couple of times during this postseason, the Miami games in particular, um, with with the defense that Miami is throwing on them, they really, I think, have stamina issues. They really run out of gas. And you've seen that with Tatum. His shots in the fourth quarter, he had multiple air balls. Now, he was very well defended, but they didn't hit anything. He was two for six from the foul line last night. Uh, Tatum was, You're right. and and he was short on everything, and uh, you know all all you basketball people know when you are short, you are tired, you know. And he was, you could see he was exhausted and worn out. I thought Golden State played an exceptional defensive game. Um, I'll say again, Curry was off. It's amazing that they won the game with him scoring 16 points and going 0 for 9. Um, but the reason, you know, he's still on the floor uh, for, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, close to 40 minutes of the 48 last night is because he's taking all of the defensive attention, making it much easier for the rest of the Warriors. Decoy. Decoy. Quack. By the way, it's a a mallard. A a step. It's a mallard. Maybe, maybe Dave Buss can carve a Steph Curry decoy. Um, I thought Clay Thompson was big last night, knocking down a lot of big threes that were important. Um, I thought Draymond Green was really good in the first half, in particular. Uh, there were a couple of other things that I uh, I had the hundred and three, the eighteen um, turnovers equaling twenty two points, and the hundred and three, the most in a quarter century in the first five games of an NBA Finals. The 95 turnovers by one uh, one player is truly amazing. I had not heard that, and I have already highlighted it with my yellow highlighter here on my thing <laughs> because I want to talk about that on tomorrow's radio show. Um, I thought that the stretch of the game that was crucial was the, the Celtics came out, and Tatum in particular, but everybody, they were on fire in the third quarter, and they turned a 12-point yes, deficit were. quickly into a four-point lead. And then at the end of the third quarter, Poole hit one of those you know 40-foot bank shots like he did in game one, I guess it was, or game two. Um, it was game two that he hit the half-court shot. He's now got essentially almost two half-court shots in the same series. He's no Jerry West, though. Um and uh, they they went on a 13 nothing run at the end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter, and it never got close after that. And you, you saw a Celtics team just wilt in the fourth quarter. And I, 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 I still think, I still think that Boston is the better team. And I thought when they made that run in the third quarter, they were going to win the game. I thought they were going to win the game before last night's game. If I were still betting, and I have not bet since the Final Four, still have not placed one wager since the Final Four, I'd be 0 for 4 in this series. I would be getting absolutely clocked. I've been wrong about every single game. I liked Boston even in Game 2 when they were getting 4. I really liked Boston last night. not not because of the statistic that they had not lost. They had not lost, Tommy, on the road following a loss in the postseason, um, and they did last night for the first time. But I, I, I still think they're the better team, and I still think they could win this series in seven games. Like, I think they could go back to San Francisco and win. I'll, I'll tell you this. if they They shouldn't change the way they played Curry last night 
which was essentially to follow him around a baseline, end line to end line, and double him and step up, not play below screens, not drop coverage, step up, double team every single time he has the ball. And, and I would say, let's see if Wiggins can do it again, if Thompson can do it again, and if, if oh, by the way, we're going to turn it over 18 times and miss 10 free throws. You know, Boston missed 10 free throws in the game. I still think that they can win this series. You don't care that much, but I'm glad you watched the game last night and had the whole decoy column written uh, coming into the conversation. But what did you see? You you like basketball. You love basketball. Uh, based on the limited amount of finals a- a- action you've watched, do you think the series goes to Golden State or Boston? I think it goes to Golden State. But I'm not watching basketball. I'm watching horse, but I think it goes to well, Golden It's not State. a horse, Tommy. I don't want to get into I don't want to get. Let me ask you one thing. What about this? This, and I don't want to get into a long philosophical discussion. We'll just do. I'll just make my statement, and you give me your feedback. Okay. We've all talked about when you and you're. You've told me before you're a shooter. You like to shoot the ball. Okay. And everyone says when you're a shooter and you're not shooting good, the way you should keep shooting the ball until you're shooting good. Shooting well, and I contend yes, well, from would be the way shooting well from having played uh, not nearly the organized level of basketball that you have, but have played my share of, of competitive uh, rec league basketball, is that sometimes the way to get out of a shooting slump is, is to start changing your game offense, start driving to the basket, start right. going to the basket, right. start changing your rhythm. It's, it's like leaving it behind. It's like, you know, putting it aside and then picking it up later on. And why isn't that just as valid as keeping pumping it up until you hit one? Well, I, I think, well, first of all, I am 100% um, in lockstep with shooter shoot and the next one's going in, and that's a shooter's mentality, always. But you know, scorers, which by the way, Steph Curry is a great scorer, Tommy. Um, you disagree with me on this, but I promise you that Steph Curry, while he is, in my opinion, the greatest shooter in the history of the game, is a great scorer. The other night he made seven threes. That equals 21 points. He had 43 points in total. So t- more than ha- more more points were scored uh, in you know as a scorer than just a bomber, um, and I thought last night he did try to get to the rim, but I think he realized that playing <laughs> playing the role of decoy was working. That 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 truly dr- taking much of the defense's attention. And his teammates, which they have not done necessarily throughout the postseason, were playing well. Wiggins was playing well. Clay Thompson was shooting it well. Gary Payton played well. Jordan Poole shot it well. And so he didn't feel the need to, you know, gun it. I mean, he had 22 shot attempts in the game. Um, nine from three. I thought he actually he was hunting it a little bit late when they had the big lead that he wanted a three late. And I think there were like three attempts in the final three or four minutes after they had built a 13-point lead. Uh, I, I don't think he wanted to go. I don't think he wanted his three-point shooting streak to end at 133 playoff games. By the way, is that amazing? He's played 133 playoff games 
all of them he's made at least one three in. Um, but I think seeing the ball go through the basket is really what gets a guy that's in a slump out of it. Sometimes that comes at the free throw I think, line. I think, Some, so, I, think, I think you can do it just as effectively if, if you change your offense during the game and you start driving to the basket and you start making buckets that way. Well, let me just tell you that I if think, you're think, if you're 0 for 6, um, you know, then it's going to be a little bit harder to start driving the ball to the basket. And for him really last night, there wasn't a lot of room to operate unless it was in transition. I actually thought that it was interesting that several times in transition off turnovers, he didn't pull up and take the three. Uh, he did drive it and then kick it or drive and try to, to finish uh, at the rim. Every single one of his buckets were, were two-pointers last night, obviously. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you necessarily. I, I think, you know, when you don't have a, a great shooter, but you've got a decent shooter and he's not making it, you will say to that person, hey, try to get the ball to the rim. You know, let, let's – Let's yes. let, let's yes. let, let's stop. You know, it might not be your night tonight, but you never ever tell a shooter to stop shooting. The next one's going in, and you never want a great shooter, not not an average shooter, but a great shooter to pass on an open look. I've got or, one, or a one a one dimensional player. You mean? Uh, no, just a great shooter. Whether he's one dimensional or or multi dimensional. Just a great shooter. I okay. mean, if you really think Steph Curry's a one-dimensional player, you really you, you're you're so off. You you and I think you know you're I know. off, I, I, and look, you're just I, trying I to create. I have not given him. Yeah, I have not given him enough credit for being a decoy, and I will make that change. <laughs> By the way, I think I think uh, he really in this series and in this postseason, even though they go after him defensively, I think he's really held up for the most part. Defensively, I think they play great defense. I wanted to mention two other things from the game last night. Um, you know, since you paid attention to the finals for maybe the first time, you probably saw that Otto Porter was out there. He plays for the Golden State Warriors. Yes, yes I know. And, I know. <laughs> so Otto Porter has started the last couple of games, and then he gets taken out pretty quickly, and Looney comes in. Um, and they played a lot of people last night. I mean, they had a lot of guys out there because you had uh, Draymond in foul trouble and, and whatever. Um Otto Porter, remember when we used to have the conversations about the Wizards and it was like, oh, God, he's – and I would tell you, he just seems like the sweetest kid, you know, but there's just no killer in him, none. And it's worse than that when I watch Otto Porter these days. Otto Porter has ability. He can shoot it. He can really shoot it. Um, he is a tough defender. He's a good rebounder. He's a smart player. But watching him in this starter's role in particular, I see a guy that's out there that thinks he doesn't belong out there. I don't see a confident player. I can't tell you how well, many... he's probably right. He's probably right. Um, but I think he should be more confident. You know, and in a game last night, um, there was a point last night where um, Curry and Wiggins were the only offensive players uh, of note on the floor, but Porter was on the floor as well. And Jeff Van Gundy, as part of his analysis, said, I don't know where the points are going to come from, but he said, Wiggins has to be aggressive because Curry was being draped 
by Boston. If they're gonna if they're gonna score right now with this lineup out there, Wiggins has to be aggressive. And on cue, Wiggins took a pass on the wing, came off a screen, drove it hard to the bucket, scored and got fouled. But it didn't even occur to Van Gundy that Porter could be an option to score. And Otto Porter at various times in his career has been a really good scorer. You know, I mean, he was always the third leading scorer with the Beal and Wall teams. But in Chicago, when he got dealt there, he had a couple of big games. He had a couple of like 40-point games, I think, in Chicago. Otto Porter had multiple 30-point games in Washington. But it's funny, when you go to a really good team and a good organization with kind of, you know, some people who are entrenched as leaders and as, you know, greatest of all time conversation guys, even if they played as decoys last night, you really take a backseat. But the really great players never feel like they have to take a backseat to anybody. And I think Porter throughout his career has been a guy that has never recognized that he's got a lot of ability. He was the third player in the in the draft picked. He's never played with a high level of confidence. I hate seeing that. That's what I see when I watch him. I see a guy that just isn't sure of himself. And he should be. I guess that's my only point. Okay. Do you have anything to add to that? I, I got nothing to add to uh, a discussion about Otto Porter. It's more about confidence is just everything. And he's still a young person, and so I think of him as a young person. But confidence is everything. It's everything in life, you know, believing in yourself. And every time I watch him, and I've felt this way on and off for so long, I see a guy that just doesn't believe in himself. And because of it, he hasn't gotten the most out of what I think he is. I think he's got some talent. I think he's could could have been a consistently really good player throughout his career. And he's always been and seemed happy to have taken a back seat to one, two, three, four players on the floor. Um, the other thing I was gonna just mention real quickly from the game last night, did you stay up till the very end of the game? Yeah. Um, I was at Shelly's watching it. Did you see when Draymond Green, they're up 13, there's like three minutes to go, and he got called for a sixth foul, and he started jumping up and down like a six-year-old who, you know, uh, had a toy taken away from him. And Steve Kerr walks out on the floor and says, okay, and challenges the call. I, you knew, like in live time, and definitely after the first replay, that that was not going to be overturned. I just – I love Draymond as a player. I actually think he's a phenomenal interview. He was on with Scott after the game. And, um, you, by the way, he's got the number one sports podcast in America right now on the Apple charts. Our podcast, by the way, is doing really well too. Um, we're like top 15, I think, in the football category where we have kind of remained um, pretty much on and off for the last many months. But anyway uh, – I just I hate when th- these players start screaming and yelling and jumping up and down and telling their coach to challenge something, 
and then they lose the challenge. They didn't need it. It was the end of the game, and that was probably Kerr's thinking, whatever, we're up 13. But on some level, I was hoping the Celtics made some miraculous run and then won on a controversial play that should have been overturned, and he didn't have the challenge left because he basically kowtowed to Draymond, who was jumping up and down on the floor like a child. I I just – I mean, come on, man. Grow up. And the coach has to have the stones to say, sit down. You're wrong. Okay? You're out. That was your sixth foul. They called the foul. There's no way we're going to win this challenge. Oh, by the way, you played great tonight, which he did. Uh, Do you want to say anything about Strasburg? Oh, they they were shocked by the news. I was at the ballpark last night. Uh, they were really caught off guard by the news that he was he wasn't feeling right after that start. And uh, look, this is this is this. There's no track record of guys successfully coming back from thoracic outlet syndrome surgery. Uh, so, I mean, a guy who's had who's had a share of injuries now is being faced with being the pioneer, basically, in in paving a comeback road from a very difficult surgery, uh, he may be done. I mean, we'll find out they're doing an MRI today. Maybe it's just, you know, but they put him on the IAL. They put him on the injured list. You know, if it was something small, they wanted to put him on the injured list. And Davey looked really concerned Mm. yesterday and really crestfallen at the news. Uh, You had Joe Rawson in the locker room. Joe Ross and Strasburg were down in spring training doing all this rehab, and then Joe Ross winds up needing another Tommy John surgery, and now Strasburg uh, with this. He may have, he may be done. I mean, they're they're going to retire Ryan Zimmerman's number this weekend at Nats Park. We may not be too far behind retiring Steven Strasburg's number. Yeah, they are. They are retiring Ryan Zimmerman's uh, jersey yes. this weekend, and um, you know, I had a. Uh... Um, Jesse Doherty, who covers the team for the Post on the radio yeah, show I know this Jesse. morning. So um, I, I, you know, I, I asked him. I said, "How much has he actually pitched since signing the deal after the 2019 World Series? 31 and a third innings. That's it. Since yeah, signing like eight games, I think. Since signing That's that seven-year, yeah. 245 million dollar deal. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it who, really is. And and let's not, let's not look. I mean, let's not, uh, for everybody who likes to, you know, have the hindsight, everybody celebrated when Steven Strasburg was signed to that deal. He was the World Series hero. Yep. Okay. Uh, You know, I'm of the philosophy that you don't sign pitchers to long-term deals who aren't your pitchers, but nobody knew Strasburg better than this team. Okay. So they knew everything that, you know, I don't think they would, could have predicted this. But uh, I wasn't particularly against them signing him since he was their pitcher. And they knew him better than anybody. You know, I, I don't like signing free agent pitchers to astronomical contracts because, I mean, you really you didn't live with the pitcher for five or six years. You don't know everything about him. So there's going to be a lot of hindsight about Strasburg. Uh, they made the wrong decision, as it turns out, but nobody knew that at the time. Uh, he had had the uh, postseason for the ages, including an incredible Game yeah. 6 in the World Series. So you were at the ballpark last night. 
Yes, I was. Uh, Braves, oh, they, they, Braves they, are red hot, right? Good. And you know what's funny? I tweeted something. Uh, like uh, They had back-to-back home runs at one point, Ozuna and Duvall, mm-hmm. and it was 6 nothing. Right. At that point, the Braves. And I tweeted out that the crowd is going wild because they were. You would have thought you were in Atlanta. Well, we've, we've seen that before. I know that. I know, but, but we, sh- we shouldn't just take it for granted. It was, it's still stunning to me that, that it happens. Literally, when, when they hit those home runs, the, the place was in an uproar. Mm-hmm. So that, that was, it, it, it was late getting started last night. Um, it was late ending yeah. last night. So I was just curious, as you were at the ballpark, um, you, you, as, as you were watching those home runs and hearing those Atlanta fans, is that when you tweeted to me, horse? Or is that when you decided that no, Steph was, Curry was a decoy? When, when exactly? No, I, I left. I left after the third inning and headed for Shelly. Oh, you did? Okay. And you to got and, the, and you the got there half. because I know the baseball game was delayed last night because of of weather. You thought you caught me, didn't you? Well, you thought you how caught much, me. How much of the game did you watch? <laughs> you couldn't have watched. You couldn't second, have watched a lot of the game. The second half, I told you. The whole second and, half and earlier in this conversation. The whole yes. the whole second half. And you oh decided, my God! I caught you, and and here you are struggling, trying to get out of the trap. No, I, I'm just curious. Like when, you're like when, a caged when did animal. You, when did you tweet horse? <laughs> well, I was sitting at Shelley's watching the game. Uh, okay, because you had a really good sense of what was going on in the game after coming from the ballpark and and, oh and talking God. to a lot of people about your next you. column. You thought- about your next column. You thought you trapped me. <laughs> no. I just <laughs> I just know that you just kind of walked in there and saw a couple of three-point bombs and saw Curry's stats and said horse and decoy. First two things that came Listen, to your mind, and you were sticking I, with that storyline regardless. I know you. you. Once you get an idea in your head, no. you're not moving off it. Yeah, but I don't come from an idea within <laughs> watching 10 seconds of a game. Listen, buddy. It can be four Here's minutes of a game. Doing. Bullshit. I don't deal in bullshit. Yeah, you do. You bullshit a lot. No, I don't. Yeah, you do. It's fine. No, I don't. You come up with – once you have a really good idea for a column, you you roll with it, and you're going to make that – you're going to take that square peg and jam it into that round hole uh, until that column's out. Sort, so, sort of like you're trying to do right now? Kind of, but, but not really. Um, We're done here, boss. I'm done with you, too. I'll talk to you on Thursday.